0: Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1, very familiar reading. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I, Jeremiah, went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do the same with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. I want to preach to you for a little while this morning as passionately as I can, just simply in his hands. In his hands. Let's pray for these needs, Sister Dean, Tommy, and TJ, and Sister Shockley. Let's pray for the remainder of this service. Father, we love you. We're thankful to be in the presence of the Lord today. We're thankful that you have showed up in mighty, powerful fashion. We're thankful for the worship, the singing, the music, It has brought us to this place. And I pray that the hand of God would continue to be made manifest in this service. Pray that you would anoint your messenger today. I pray, God, that this congregation would be sensitive to the word of God because it is a word from the Lord to your church. Pray that you would bless today in Jesus' name the needs that we've mentioned, the going, Sister Dean, Sister Shockley. I pray, God, for these folks that you would wrap your arms around them right now that the hand of God would be made manifest in their situation. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I want to begin by saying I want to thank my very good friend, Pastor Rick Langford, for the inspiration for this message today. God has always had a beautiful way of portraying great, meaningful lessons to His people. Lessons are more easily understood when there's a parallel drawn from real life the meaning becomes more resplendent and I do want to say today and sometimes it may take a little digging and a little study but the word of God is always relevant to our life it may be an old book but it's not lost its relevancy. but as I was preparing for this morning the old song and it's one of my favorites and probably one of yours as well if you've heard it Song by Andre Crouch, he said, The potter saw a vessel that was broken by the wind and rain, and he sought with so much compassion to make it over again. And I was that vessel that no one thought was good. I cried, Lord, you're the potter, and I am the clay. Make me over again today. Then God picked up the pieces. Of my broken life that day, and he made me a new vessel and revived my soul again. I'm sure everyone in the house today can share in the testimony that that song represents. But the Old Testament is full of these stories that have real life analogies. David's sin, for example, with Bathsheba, is revealed by the prophet Nathan while using a touching story of a rich man taking away the lamb of a poor man to feed his traveler friend. The condition of Israel's spirituality is portrayed by the moving story of Hosea marrying an adulteress, a prostitute, if you will, which he bought for 15 pieces of silver, which was half the price of a slave. Uh, And and he uh, also gave one and a half homer's of barley for her. The book of Job is a very relevant story in our modern time. It's nothing more than a real-life story, a true story filled with picturesque words teaching us the value of trusting God and teaching us that God does truly care for His own. And then moving on to the New Testament. The ministry of Jesus was one that appealed to the people because of the way that he taught, he called his very relevant life stories, he called them parables. The time would not permit me to tell you of all of his parables today and their meaning, but to name a few. He used the farmer and the seed. He used the whisper of the wind. He used the gentleness of children. He used a wayward son. He used a valuable but lost coin. He used shepherd and sheep. He used a rich man with full borns. He used a lazy servant. He used an unthankful debtor. All of these and more are used to teach the people extremely valuable lessons about life. In our scripture setting today, God told Jeremiah to go to the potter's house. Jeremiah didn't see much at the potter's house before God spake to him. He saw the potter working on a vessel which became marred in the hands of the potter. So the potter squashed up all the clay again, and he made it into a vessel that seemed good to the potter. Then God spoke to Jeremiah, and I'll read it again. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. I have remembered in times past, Sister Murph and I, visiting places where pottery was made. I'm sure some of you have. But I've seen pieces of pottery of all shapes, sizes, descriptions that you could imagine. Some of them were painted bright, adorable colors. And some had beautiful scenes painted on them, depending on the color of the clay that was used. I've seen the ovens uh, where the vessels were cured and dried. Uh, I've seen uh, the, the whole process uh, of the potter working. I've witnessed the way the vessels, when he was done, were packaged for shipment. And I also have seen the unused clay, the broken clay, the marred clay, piled behind him in a corner, unable to use it. But I think what I remember most vividly, especially in one specific place, And I apologize, I have racked my brain. I cannot remember exactly where we were, even though I have this whole setting uh, stamped into into my memory. We walked into a place, and I'd like for you to visualize it with me, and we saw a potter at work. He had the old table that was spinning round and round. He was controlling the speed of the table with his feet, with pedals, and he had a big piece of clay. And he was actually making a large plate. I, I was hoping he could hurry up and finish it and put it in the, the microwave oven and, uh, so I could go ahead and buy it, but that was not the case. It took him a long time to make that plate, and then it had to be painted and so on. But I remember watching him sitting on a stool with this mass of damp clay just plop down on that wheel, and you could see beside him other plates that he had made, and there was a small container of water by his side and in front of him was that rotating wheel and he's moving the wheel at a comfortable speed with a foot pedal and after moistening and softening a lump of clay, he puts it on the horizontal wheel and then the wheel is turning and he touches that revolving lump and immediately the clay, immediately the clay begins to conform to his touch and he begins to shape that large plate in this particular case as long as the clay is pliable the potter can move it and work it by adding a small amount of water from time to time he continues to work it until it becomes the reality until it becomes the reality of what was started as only a picture or image in his mind it's fascinating to watch A pile of raw clay, a clump of raw clay, slowly takes shape in the potter's hand. And what was just an old clump of ugly brown clay suddenly becomes this beautiful vessel that is sold for a good deal of money. Now and then, a vessel becomes marred. This was made evident by the cold, dry, broken pieces of vessel that was piled up behind him in the corner. There's so many things that can mar an otherwise perfect vessel, such as a pebble in it, a twig, or an off-color spot of clay. The potter stops the wheel. He removes the marred section. He takes what he has started. He puts it all back and he plumps it all up again and he smashes here and he smashes there. And he's got the big clump of clay again. And he puts it back down in the middle of the wheel. And he starts fashioning the vessel again. He didn't give up on that lump of clay. He didn't just toss it aside when it didn't immediately conform to what he had imagined in his mind. But he smashed it. He crushed it. He formed it back into a lump and then began to shape it into the image that was in his mind. There's many things that can cause the clay to not conform, but the potter doesn't give up on it. Pottery, I'll have you know, is a science of man rather than of manufacturing. And there's three objects of importance to note in what I have just shared with you. Number one is the potter. Number two is the clay. Number three is the wheel. I'll submit to you this morning that life is the wheel that all of our lives are spinning around and around on today. But God made it clear to Jeremiah, you can consider life the wheel, but he left no uncertain doubt in Jeremiah's mind. He said, but I am the potter. I am the Am the potter. And you are the clay. It is apparent from this text of scripture. That God has your life. And my life on the wheel. And he intends to keep us there. God will never be through. With your life. Nor mine. He will continually work on us. Perfecting us. Until we awake in his likeness. John said in his epistle. Beloved. Now are we the sons of God. We're in his hands. I said we're in his hands. Now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. I don't know about you today, but I thank God I'm in His hands. I thank God today I'm in His hands. The skill of the potter is amazing as he deliberately gingerly works at the wheel, but the yielding of the clay to the potter, the yielding of the clay to the potter is the lesson that God would have us learn. So what does it mean to be in the potter's hand? What does it mean to be in his hands? Again, God said, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. I want everybody to visualize what I'm about to say. I want you to get a picture of it in your mind. I want you to think of your position. There's not a person here right now that's living life alone. There's not a person here today that's fighting life's battles by yourself. Whether you realize it or not, whether you're cognizant of it or not, there is an ever-present almighty, understanding, compassionate God that is with you everywhere you go. Every breath you breathe, every step you take. So Let me submit to you today, you may be imperfect, but you're in his hands. You may be flawed and messed up, but you're in his hands. You may be broken, unforgiven, hurt, and bitter, but you're in his hands. You may not feel like you fit in anywhere, but today I've come to persuade you with all of my might that you fit perfectly in the hands of Almighty God. In his hands, there's assurance. Brayton, in his hands, there's safety. In his hands, there's promise. In his hands, there's direction. In his hands, there's hope. In his hands, there's unconditional love. In his hands, there's no danger of rejection, and it's in his hands. It's in his hands where your value is ultimately determined. It's in his hands. Jeremiah said, I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. The potter, which Jeremiah visited, had many vessels scattered throughout his shop. There are many of them a tall vessel, a sharp vessel, a vessel with a narrow neck and spout, a vessel with a handle, a slim one and a squatted one, each an individual piece, each standing alone, each a work of art. God, good vessels, valuable vessels, priceless vessels. So it is with you in mind that God gives to us this relevant story that Jeremiah is blessed to be a part of. Paul said in Romans chapter 9, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor, and another vessel unto dishonor? Listen to one translation. It said, When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration? and another to throw garbage into. I find it fascinating. Sister Murph has, through the years, has collected various pieces of china, and uh, I think the set she has, she calls, it's called Old Country Roses or something like that, if I remember right. And she loves her china, and rightfully so, it's beautiful. But this scripture is saying, is it's up to the potter to make a vessel to go with a set of china or to make a vessel that you can literally use for a garbage can. I thought about this, and maybe you'll understand it better. Most of you, a lot of you, your refrigerator at home is made out of stainless steel. Did you know that our trash receptacles in our restrooms here at Grace Church are also made out of stainless steel? The countertop in the A-Center kitchen where all kind of food preparation is done is made out of stainless steel. It's a valuable material, but it's only valuable when it is used as the creator of it, destined and determined. I'm here to tell everybody this morning, you're in His hands and He is making you the way He chooses to make you. And I understand that sometimes you'll look around at people's lives and say, man, God made a showpiece out of that person and look what He did with me. I feel like that in the preacher world sometimes. I, I think of an Anthony Mangan and I, I think of others, uh, a T.F. Tinney and, and all of our, our, our preachers that we love and a Lee King, And I look at them and said, man, when they were on the... The, the the Potter's wheel of ministry. God went all out on them. You folks got stuck. <laughs> but that's not how it works with God. Every vessel he makes has a purpose. And every vessel he makes has value. You have value today. The clay only plays a minor role in the process of making a vessel. All it does is sit on that table and conforms to the hands of the potter. So the lesson, quickly, is that we are or should be submissive to God in all things. It's when we try to take care of things on our own that mess-ups begin. Amen. We're not in charge of the shaping or the creative responsibility of our lives. That's not our job. And we may consider ourselves to be self-made men and women, but we will not be pleasing to God unless we submit to Him and let Him (laughs) mold us into what He pleases for us to be. So the potter has made many vessels of beauty. But something is wrong when Jeremiah reaches the potter's house that day. He said the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. The potter didn't make a mistake. The potter didn't mess up. It wasn't that the potter didn't know what he was doing. The clay was becoming a manifestation of what he was making it into. The trouble was the clay itself. A self-willed lump can't be molded. It can be for any number of reasons. But sooner or later, the potter has to remove it and then crush it all down again, as I've mentioned. So it is with people. When they lack the ability to step out of their denial and yield to God, it's it's, it's because they have a spiritual deficiency. A self-willed person is one most unlikely for God to use. Sister Murphy read and shared with me a very interesting quote this week. It said, People who are easily offended are very rarely influential people. It's a strange strange message in that, and and some of you need to think about that. The bottom line, Jesus said in Matthew 16, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. There has to be that act of submission. The cross we bear is self-denial and submission. James said to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. The wild horse can be beautiful out in the middle of a field, but until it's broken, it's of no good and of no purpose. Our self-will must be broken before we can be pleasing to God. Clay must have the right consistency, it must be clay all the way through. A hidden stone or pebble can mar the vessel, and the potter tries to make it. Many times there's a hidden sin in, in us, and some, it's, it's, it could be an, a hangover from the past. It could be an unforgiving grudge, a bit of the world that has not been forsaken, some wrong attitude that has been smoldering in your heart for months and even years. If the work on the wheel is marred, what's to be done with it? If the potter can't work with the clay, if the clay is marred, and what's to be done? The Bible gives three possibilities. Number one, the potter may throw it away. Isaiah 30 said, and he shall break it. As the breaking of the potter's vessel that is broken in pieces, he shall not spare so that there shall not be found in the bursting of, a of it a assured to take to fire from the hearth or to take water with out of the pit. There's folks that can reach the point, and this is option number one, is the, your past will look at you and say you're too broken for even me to use. Out you go. Betrayal. Can look at you and say, you're no longer valuable to me. No pay, no play. So out you go. Loneliness can look at you and say, nobody wants you anymore. You're undesirable. And out you go. That's one option. And there's a lot of people that come face to face with God. They come in contact with God. But they refuse to submit to His plan and purpose. And so this becomes their faith. The second option the Bible gives is a potter could just set it aside in its smart condition for everyone else to see. The potter's house is full of pieces like that. He could put it, if you will, on the bargain shelf and declare it to be of not much worth. It could become a piece that past sin would look at and say, I'll take that one. Or bitterness could look at it and say, that's perfect for my process of complete destruction. Or depression could look at that vessel and say, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Someone with low self-value will do whatever it takes to survive. Or even pride would see and say with a smug grin on its face, that's the one because he or she doesn't fit anywhere. That's the second possibility. But the third possibility is to have the potter take that lump of clay and make it all over again. That's the third possibility. And so I want to ask today, and I know this is true for some folks, for some folks here right now. You're a marred vessel today. Self-will, sin, rebellion, resistance has marred the work of God in your life. I want to tell you, God isn't through. You can embrace option one and two, but God never does. He prefers option number three. And it's never too late to put yourself back in the hands of God. It's never too late to put yourself in His hands. You see, not only the quality of clay is to be considered but also the skill of the potter. And may I say, you're not God's first rodeo in putting lives back together. Jesus has taken the worst and made the best. He does the best work with nothing and nobodies. He can take nothing and make something beautiful. He can take a nobody and transform them into a somebody. He specializes in what the world has thrown away. God took Rahab the harlot and put her in the bloodline of Jesus. God took Moses who stuttered and made him a leader of a nation. Jewish tradition tells us. Jewish tradition tells us that his mother Netzavet had David. Had David. As a result of an adulterous affair, the only reason David's brothers didn't kill his mother was because their father Jesse wouldn't let them. David became an outcast. That's why he was always sent away out in the field to take care of the sheep. That's why no one called for him when the prophet came by to choose the next king of Israel out of the sons of Jesse. But God took a teenager named David who was a misfit and an outcast and made him into a king. Samson and Solomon were immoral, but God gave Samson, made him a conqueror, and made Solomon into the wisest man that ever lived. Abraham was an idolater and a liar, but God made him the father of a nation that would one they deliver a savior to the world Noah was an alcoholic Jacob was a deceiver Gideon was a coward David was an adulterer and Paul was a terrorist but in the hands of God they were priceless somebody has to hear the word of God today you may think you're a nothing you may think you're a nobody but in his hands You're in His hands. And that changes everything. The devil may hate you, and he does. Your family may not like you, and that may be the case. Even churches may have turned their back on you and preachers and pastors. But let me remind you, you're not in their hands. You're in His hands. You're in His hands. You're in His hands. hands. Let me illustrate it this way if you'll stand with me this morning. In my hands this morning, this basketball is worth less than $20. But in the hands of LeBron James and the NBA, it's worth over $23.2 million a year. Everybody understand that? Let me continue. This ball right here, tennis ball. In my hands, it's worth less than a dollar. About the most I could do with that is play retrieve with a dog. The hands of Novak Djokovic. It's worth $21.8 million a year. In my hands, Coop, this football, as a matter of fact, it even needs air in it, it's worth less than $25. But in the hands of Cam Newton in the NFL, it's worth 41.1 million dollars a year. this football. I found this, in my yard, golf ball. in my hands it's worth less than five dollars. But in the hands of Jordan Speeth, it's worth 52.8 million dollars a year. Baseball in my hands, probably not worth more than three or four dollars. But in the hands of Clayton Kershaw, it's worth $32.8 million a year. Today, in his hands, in his hands, what are you worth? You're worth His blood for your deliverance. You're worth His life for your eternity. To Him, you're worth heaven. To Him, you're worth happiness and peace. And all of that's possible today because you're in His hands. You're in his hands. You're in his hands. Brother Ben, I'm happy to tell you today, man. You're in his hands. Nancy, you and your family, your kids, you're in his hands. Brother Mike Henson, an expert with his hands, can build cabinets beautiful. But today, you are in his hands. Brayton, I'm happy to tell you today, man, I'm happy to tell you. Tommy and TJ, right now, they're in his hands. There's young people here today that feel hopeless, just can't see much of a future. But I can assure you, young person, you're in His hands. That's what He does when He finds me and you. He don't cast us aside after we've just nailed Him to a cross. But He reaches around and grabs us up in His arms. And he holds us in his hands. No matter where you've been. No matter what you've done. Jesus told Nicodemus under the cover of darkness. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. The Bible said. Greater love hath no man than this. And a friend would lay down his life. God gives you intrinsic value, that is, your perception of how valuable you are, that's what God does. Are you on the potter's wheel today? Let me assure you, God is not looking for golden vessels that can grace the halls of a shrine or several silver vessels that can add more sparkle to a rich man's table. He's not searching for an ornamental vessel that can add brightness to his room. But God is searching for a willing vessel to fill up with his power, to fill up with his spirit. And the good news, the good news is that God can take the broken pieces. Share this with you in conclusion. We had been out on the evangelistic field for several years, years ago. I was struggling with so many things on the inside of me, and I was scared. I was unsure, had no confidence, and certainly at the mercy of pastors that would allow us to come and speak for them. We were visiting the first church in Baton Rouge, it's been years ago, and Sister Murphy's brother, Ricky, and another lady who formerly attended that church, her and her husband there at headquarters now, the Babb family, Ricky and Anita were singing this song. If I was a singer, I'd sing it. If I was a singer, there's a lot of things I would sing. But it was all I could do not to just jump up from where I was sitting and run to the altar. It just, just so resonated. The words of it just says, A rocky road, a heavy load, got you wondering if you'll ever get over. Your journey's slow, your faith is low, and you wonder who will take the time. To get you back on your feet. Turn your bitter to sweet. But Jesus knows. All the burdens you must bear. And he will take time to care. Anybody got a heart that you can't mend? Are you trying to live a life you can't defend? Are you in a battle you just can't win? Bring it to Jesus. You're in his hands. You only learn when you've been burned. Aren't you wondering if you'll ever get over? What will it take one more mistake? Aren't you worried how you waste your time? You think nobody can see camouflage misery. But Jesus knows all the things you hide from Him. Oh, He died for every one of them. So cast your every care on Him. Anybody got a heart that will not mend? Are you trying to live a life you can't defend? Are you in a battle you just can't win? Bring it to Jesus. There's people here today that need to know. I've come to give you hope. No matter what kind of curveball life is thrown to you today, you're still in His hands. There's people here this morning, I would to God, I could walk out and just grab you by the hand and pull you up here and get you on your face before God. And watch God restore your faith. Life may be in shambles around you, but I'm here to declare with everything in me, you're still in His hands. (laughs) Halaboshayal, doyala, 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 doyala. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah. So as they begin to sing today, does anybody want to come and find peace in His hands? Oh, how He loves you today. Oh, yes, He does. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. The Bible said he's faithful and just to forgive those that ask him. Come on, folks. Somebody open your heart to Jesus right now. Somebody open your heart to Jesus. Life ain't over. Life's not over. You're still in its hands. You're still in its hands. Come on, everybody. Come on, everybody. Somebody pour your heart out to Jesus right now. Somebody pour your heart out to the Lord. You need to know that you're in His hands. pray for you guys today. If y'all don't mind, is that okay? Let's pray. I want y'all to know.